So we are back for Thursdays at uh, noon, and we are going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 3. So we're going to do 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and we'll read that and pray, and then uh, we'll go ahead and start. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 uh, says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon, or his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let's pray and then uh, we'll start. Uh, Father, we love you so much. Um, God, we thank you just for uh, appointing our time here. Uh, help us to uh, hear the word today. Help us to be changed by it. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to um, live up to our calling, to uh, be sojourners in the world, to represent your son well. Um, I pray that you be with my words as I speak, that you would help them to be um, accurate according to your word, that you would be um, changing hearts and convicting us and calling us to um, see Jesus as more desirable than we did uh, this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so the sermon title, um, sometimes it's helpful to have those uh, to know it, is Called to the Contrary, which you, you can see in uh, verse 9. But I want to start with a quick story. Um, it's the new year, so we'll start the story from last year. On Palm Sunday of 2017, uh, some Christians in Egypt were attacked during their church service. So on Palm Sunday, uh, there were two bombings, and there's another separate attack about a week after on a bus full of men, women, and children, uh, mostly Christians, that was the point. Um, and after the bombing uh, of a church or a local group, uh, most people will say, well, let's go bomb them back. And that's kind of a heart. If they take ours, let's go take theirs. Um, maybe you expect them to go bomb their mosque or to shoot back their men or something, however you want to do that. But instead, something, something amazing happens. I want to read you the answer to the question this man was asked. So one of the pastors um, was asked a question, and they don't give his name, I think, for reasons to protect him. But after having their congregation bombed um, and local Christians in the area attacked, uh, one of the questions they asked the pastor was this, what do you see God doing in these events? I want you to listen to the answer, and I need to hear it again for myself too, uh, but it's very, very, um, well, just hear the answer. So what do you see God doing after these things? And he says this, God is revealing his love to the people of Egypt. Pain and agony are like seeds growing up through the soil of our country to produce the fruit of the gospel. God is using these events that Satan meant for destruction as the greatest gospel platform in the history of Egypt. So this pastor and these Christians, they, they see these things as they are, which is evil and painful and hard, uh, but they're, they're not retaliating back. They're not seeking to fight back and to kill and to say we're praying God will smoke them or hoping God will blow up their mosques. They're praying that they would continue to preach the gospel, that people would listen, um, and that God would be involved. And I think those are things that are contrary to our, to our heart. So this is why I have that understanding in this text and why Peter says, called to the contrary. So we're called to do things as Christians that are contrary to opinion, contrary to the culture, things that are different. 
And in this text, um, we're going to see three things in particular. Uh, I want us to see that we're called to think differently, act differently, and uh, to have a different kind of confidence. So if you want um, a catchier way, you can have think, act, confidence, or I think I put out actually Christ-like thinking, Christ-like acting, Christ-like confidence, kind of the same thing. Uh, those are the three main ways that we're called to uh, live as Christians in a world that is filled with um, rebellion and sin, such as the attack in Egypt. Uh, but first, I want us to see how the Christian should think. So how should we operate? How should we feel? How should we think um, from our thoughts to our emotions to our heart attitude? How should a Christian think and act, especially in uh, face of evil and persecution, sin, and wrongs done to them? Uh, so in verse 8, you read this. Uh, finally, all of you, and before we even get into what's going on, uh, I want us to kind of catch up so we can understand why, why Peter's saying the all of you. Uh, so if you remember, this letter is addressed to suffering Christians under Roman rule in the first century, um, and Peter has been laying out the truth of the gospel. He's laid out how to live as Christians. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he starts off by saying, um, as, you're, as you're a soldier, as you're a stranger on the earth, you need to live in this way. And then from that chapter, he goes to different groups of people. So he starts with, uh, verse 13, those who live just in the government. So those who live just in America or live in a country that has a city ruler or a state ruler or a government official. And how to live under them, how to uh, conduct yourself, how to think. The next thing he goes to in verse 18, he, he goes to those more closer relationships. So those who are workers, those who are under authority uh, at work or at home or at school. And then in verse 21, uh, Peter then goes to those who are suffering by wicked means, by wicked people. Uh, so maybe you have a harsh boss or a harsh job or you're, you're literally being attacked at work or being attacked in your country. And then in chapter 3, he goes to husband and wives. So for the last chapter and a half, Peter's hit different groups of people, from those who are just living as regular people to those who are working, to those who are married, to those who are not married but under a government. He's kind of hit all the groups. And then in verse 8, this is why he says, Finally, all of you. So what Peter's trying to say is, all these commands lately have been for certain groups of people, specifically for certain particular thinkings or positions or groups. And now he's saying all Christians. So verse 8 is a really general call to all Christians. There's not a particular uh, group. I think it's good to know that he's now going to hit us all with the same thing. Uh, so we're all going to have the same understanding from the average Christian who's in college, uh, to those to the stay-at-home mom, to those who suffer as Christians, to the one who works at the checkout counter at Walmart, to whatever. All Christians are called to do these things. Um, I think it's good to know that because I think we, we forget that um, just as the, the MLB baseball players need to work on their swings, uh, just as much as the t-ball players do, I think it's nice to know that even the wisest theologians, the wisest pastors need to do the same things that new Christians are doing we need to think the same way, act the same way, hope the same things. And it's very helpful to know that there's no, there's no super Christian. We're all on the same path trying to learn and fight the same things. So as a Christian, what Peter's going to hit is for us to have these things in common from the next, the next few verses. So in verse 8, he says this, So finally, all of you, have unity of mind. Um, so if you, if you wanted to think about that, unity of mind... Um, the best way to think about that is we all come from the same thing. So all people um, on the earth have been born in Adam. They've been born as sinful, uh, as an enemy of God, dead in their sins, as the Bible says. 
Um, but now in Christ, everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. So the first thing we have in common is our standing before God and our standing with God now. Uh, so there is no uh, gold medal Christian path. There's no kind of fast track like you have in Disneyland to get to the ride first. Uh, we're all in the same race, going to the same goal. Uh, typically kind of going the same speed. We're all just hoping to get there soon. And so what's good is a church can have all sorts of different races and backgrounds and ethnicities and last names and ages and financial status, and yet all have something in common. It's who we were and who we are. And that's the good news of the gospel is there's no bias, there's no room for racism or hate or judgmental things. Um, only in the church can you see uh, this unity of mind. Uh, only in the church can you see a a desire to be to have uh, the same thinking and same mindset because of the gospel. Uh, so we're called to have the unity of mind, particularly in our doctrine, um, in our affections, in our love for Christ. So Paul, or so Peter calls it to be unified, and then also in certain things. So we're called to have sympathy. That's uh, so the reason why we can be sympathetic is because we understand that as Christians, we all live in a fallen world. Uh, we all have fallen friends, and we all sin and are sinned against. Um, and I think we need to be careful with the word sympathy. Um, sympathy kind of means you know what that person feels. But a lot of times we don't really know what they feel. So I think when Peter means sympathy, he doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I get what you're saying. I've been there too. But more along the lines of yeah, sin is real. It really hurts. Sin's really hard. Um, evil really happens. Um, let's weep. Let's, let's, let's work through this together. So I think sympathy doesn't just mean you're there to say, I, I've been there, done that. But also to sit there and say, let's, let's do this together. I'll weep with you. I'll hurt with you. Um, and we know that God is good in it. And we, we can have that same thinking um, and sympathy can come from, those, from that direction. And also what's helpful to know as Christians is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have this same thinking as well. Uh, that text says this, We do not grieve as those who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So as Christians... We can talk to our fellow believers having no idea what they're going through, not understanding the pain or the sorrow or the frustration, but we can ultimately say we're not weeping with no hope. We have hope. There's a heaven. There's a reality that this will be done, and we can look forward to that. So that's the sympathy we have that we can give because of the future that we're all looking forward to. We're all hoping in the same thing. So we can weep with those who weep. We can mourn with those who mourn. Uh, knowing that Jesus, as the text says, died and rose again. So we have a hope saying one day it will be made right. I don't know how, I don't know when, but it will be. And we can hope in that. So that's how we can be sympathetic. That's how we can understand. We can understand that the suffering and death of Jesus brings us into union with him and his suffering. And in a sense, we get it and that evil is happening and that Jesus will uh, make all things right. So also in verse 8, he says sympathy. Then he says brotherly love. And that's one of the main things that Jesus said uh, in the Gospels, that people will recognize who we are. So if we are of Christ, we will love our brothers and sisters in Christ in a very unique way, in a very different way. Um, again, only in the church do you have these, these things happening. So I think if you go to like a fancy penthouse or a club, you can find a lot of rich people who have different backgrounds, different races, uh, different interests, and get along well, have good friendships. But... If someone of a poor stats walks in or someone who's a different political standing walks in, there's typically some kind of tension. There's a little bit of more uh, animosity. And if they needed help, they're, I think they're less likely to be involved because of biases and stats. But in the church, 
uh, you can see the rich helping the poor, the poor weeping with the rich. You can see the whites and the blacks being okay with everything because the gospel unites them. So only in the church do we have true brotherly affection, true brotherly love, and that we can give of ourselves in multiple ways. So only in Christ, again, do we have the ability to love and to see a place where all races and backgrounds and uh, ethnicities come in and we can give of ourselves. And then in the book of Acts, we see that the church gave things that they had and they sold them and gave the money to those who had need. And that is what brotherly love is. It is giving of yourself for the benefit of others. And in the gospel, we see that clearly. So Christians are called uh, to love their brothers, uh, to love their sisters in Christ in such a way that would show that we are followers of Christ. And we can do that because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says that we have a, a purified heart that we can love one another. So only the Christian is able to do this. We can fully understand how to love uh, one another. The next command Peter gives in the same verse, so it's still in verse 8, is a tender heart. Uh, the only other way that the word tender heart is used in this, in this text, in this style, is in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So tender-heartedness or having a tender heart has to do with being compassionate, being forgiving, uh, not just saying, aw, it's so cute, but being forgiving, being compassionate, being merciful, and forgiving others. And we can do that only again, only again because of what Christ has done for us. So at the end of that verse in Ephesians uh, says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the peak, the, the utmost tender-hearted act in the universe uh, was God forgiving us. So that's how we can understand how to forgive others. We can see, well, if I sin against a huge God and he can forgive me, I can forgive those who sin against me because I'm not that huge. I'm not that important. I'm not God. And so just by something as simple as that and helpful, we can remember that we can forgive others. Um, Jesus says that happy or blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So if you show mercy and you forgive, uh, you'll be happy, and God will show you mercy as well. That's the idea. And we are also merciful because we've tasted mercy, therefore we want to give, give mercy, be merciful, show mercy that God showed us first. Then lastly, in verse 8, Peter puts his last one in there, I think, to kind of wrap up all these in one package uh, of, of how we should think. So he says, have a, have a humble mind. Um, and I, again, I think the placement of humble mind is very, I think it's important because God put it there for a reason at the end. And I think it has to do with having a humble mind, all these four things before it all kind of fall into place. So in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we hear the words, have the mind of Christ, or think the way Christ did. So how does having a humble mind allow you to do the commands Peter just gave? I kind of want to go through them uh, with that underlining thought of a humble mind. So here's how to do it. Uh, so to have a unity of mind is the first command. Uh, a humble mind thinks not of themselves quickly as being wiser in doctrine, or I went to seminary, so I know more than you do, okay, I'll be quiet, or however you want to think about that. Uh, but they rejoice in you. They in the in the unity they have with believers. So I can rejoice with five year old kids who say, "I believe in Jesus," and say, "That is so cool." Uh, I've sit there and say, "Do you know what the Trinity is?" Do you? Know? I don't have to sit there and have a frustration. We can have unity in thinking and the essentials and things that are good, and rejoice in our unity of the Scriptures. Um, sympathetic. So the humble minds, uh, those who are in Christ, um, we can first say when someone's hurt. 
and I'm prone to do this when someone says, I'm having a problem, I can say, oh, I've been there, let me tell you my story, and then I make it about my sorrow. But the humble mind instead says, no, 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 let's just, let's just weep, let's think, let's listen, um, and suffer, and point them to the suffering servant before our, our first story. Uh, brotherly love, uh, we are willing to suffer our loss for the betterment of others. Jesus, of course, did that uh, by counting others as more valuable than himself. Uh, so that's how a humble mind thinks. It says, those first and then me. And having a tender heart, uh, again, when we see how huge our sin is and how big God is to forgive us for those sins, um, we can think, Man, I can forgive those who wronged me. I'm, I'm not that important. I'm not that impressed to sin against, and yet God can forgive us. How can we not forgive those who sin against us? So Philippians 2, again, is kind of the, the trumpet of what a humble mind is. It's the blast of, a, of understanding. Um, Jesus, though he had equality with God, did not count it something to be God, something to be grasped, but became a servant. So God, who's totally different than man, totally, totally different than us, uh, became like us that he might sympathize with our weaknesses, uh, that he might have something in common with us to give of himself for us. And a humble mind does that. They seek the unity. They seek to become like them, uh, to serve them for their good. So that's how Christians are to think. That's how we're to act. Uh, I'm sorry, how, how to think, how to process, how to feel. Uh, our affections, that should be our heart attitude, to have a humble, humble mind to do those things. Um, and our thinking usually will interpret into your actions. So the way you think typically is shown in how you act. So the next thing we're going to go to is how to act. So if you know how to think, if you know how to process and how to feel, um, that will typically demonstrate itself in how you act. So the next we're going to cover is Christian acting and how all Christians should act uh, in the same way. Uh, back to the story of Egypt, the Christian suffering. Uh, they asked him another question. So they asked him multiple. Here's the second one they asked him. Uh, the question was, how was the church in Egypt recovering? So after having your church blown up and having people die and... Other uh, stories of wives seeing their husbands blown up and can't find their kids and uh, so many things happening. And so they asked this pastor, uh, how, how's everything doing? How, how are you guys recovering? Uh, and here's what he says. The other churches in Egypt, uh, he names the names, I can't pronounce them because, well, I don't want to try, uh, are filled with Christians praying. The bus attack brought about much pain and sorrow as well. It's the fourth deadly attack on our groups of Christians in just six months. Sadly, I don't anticipate it to be the last one. However, after each attack, we've had the opportunity to speak out in the media and to testify about the gospel message of love and forgiveness in the face of evil. So these Christians are suffering uh, something similar to the, what the ones that Peter wrote to. So there's persecution, there's evil, there's attack, there's death. And then think of verse 9. So having an understanding of your church being attacked by ISIS, which who it was, having people blown up in your church, having a bus shot up and blown up, uh, having your friends in first century Christianity being fed to lions and tortured, uh, Peter says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Think I put the face on it. Now, now it seems real all of a sudden. Uh, your first act is, well, I have to get them back. We have to, we have to persecute them back. We have to get just. We have to call the cops. We got to do all these things. We got to, we got to kill. We got to fight. And I think those heart things come up naturally for me. If my church was attacked, or my wife was attacked, or slandered, I would want to say, "You better watch out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop you in the mouth." But Peter's saying, "Don't you dare. Don't you attack. Don't you repay evil for evil." And I think that puts a face on it. 
So those people in Egypt, these people in the first century in, in Rome were wronged. They were attacked. But the scriptures call us not to repay evil for evil. And we can see this in other places in the Bible as well. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, especially the, uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, he was sold and betrayed by his brothers. Uh, he was beaten. Uh, he was held captive in jail for years and years. Yet he had the chance uh, to become the vice president of Egypt and to uh, repay his brothers back. Uh, but he did it. Instead, he spares them. Uh, we think of David, uh, King David, who was being attacked by Saul. Uh, he would, Saul would actually throw his spear at David to attack him, to kill him. And David had multiple chances to kill Saul, but he did not. He said, I'll, I'll trust the Lord's doing. I will wait. Uh, Proverbs 20 says not to repay evil for evil, but to entrust to the Lord. It's kind of the, the rendering of it. And then Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks the same thing. Do not repay evil for evil. So it's a common theme. And then, of course, Jesus Christ also says to speak, uh, to love and to pray for those who persecute you. So the same thinking, the same understanding. So this is one of the reoccurring themes of the Bible as Christians. Uh, that when we are reviled, when evil is done to us, not to react and to do evil back, but to do something that's even harder. And we'll get to that in a few seconds. And the reason why that is, is that's the theme, is that's the first thing we see happening in the Bible. So if you know uh, the beginnings of the Bible, of, of what was happening in the beginning, we look at Genesis chapter 3, and we see God gave Adam and Eve a command not to eat of a certain tree. And they had everything they needed, but instead they sin, they commit uh, treason against God. They reject his authority. And does God repay evil for their evil? Or does God repay them with what they deserve? Does he slap them back? And instead, we see God actually giving mercy to Adam and Eve. Instead of taking their life, um, God takes the life of an animal in their place and covers their shame with the skin of the animal. So God did not repeat, repeat, repay us what we deserve, Instead, he was merciful and kind. And from that, we see that theme all throughout the Bible. We see God doing that time and time again to the people of God and to us. So this is a reoccurring theme that the Bible holds, that God is patient and he is kind when we sin, uh, that we might be led to repentance. That's the point. I think some of us, um, if you're like me, uh, you kind of think, okay, I'm pretty good at not punching somebody in the face. You know, if I was to be attacked or wrong, I'm not going to strike somebody. I'm not going to, you know, wreck their car or slash their tire. I'm not, I'm not that intense or even that brave to do that. And I think that's legit. I think a lot of Christians now, I think you can say you're probably not worried about hitting somebody. Uh, maybe some case of overall, you're not worried about, you know, slashing tires or spray painting their house or something bad. Uh, but Peter goes a step further. In verse 9, so he says, Do not repay evil for evil, so don't slap their cheek back, but also, or reviling for reviling. So when someone makes a dirty remark at you and calls you something rude, uh, Peter's saying, don't even talk back. And again, I think that's not hard. We say, well, I don't talk back. I just, under, under my breath, mutter that I hate them. Or, well, I'll get them soon. Well, I think under your breath, it, that's still reviling for reviling. Um, they don't have to hear it to know that you're doing it, right? So... The harder call, the harder command is you don't even talk back. When they say something nasty, you don't even say, well, you stink to or you retaliate back. Not even under your breath. You don't. That's a hard command. It's hard. It goes to the nitty-gritty of not even a heart motive, not even a, a word, not even an attack back. 
And of course, we think of Jesus on the cross when he was hanging from his attackers below him, mocking him and reviling him, and dividing up his clothing before him. Jesus prays that they be forgiven. He does not revile and threaten to bring down his angels to slaughter in a clean house. He just prays. I mean, that's, that's the God that we serve, that he would do that. That's, that's the model that we fail to meet. Jesus prays for those uh, who scorned him. Um, he, he doesn't threaten saying, in three days you're going to be sorry. He prays for them. He prays. He, he, his mouth speaks not about men only, but about men to God. He prays for them. And that's the model we're called to reflect. And look at verse 9 again. This is where the, the title comes from, the contrary. This is, this is the hard part. So Peter says, but, so change of thought, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So instead of reviling or repaying back what they deserve, we bless. We actually seek the good of our enemies, of those who attack us. Uh, we seek to, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Um, I think there are ways in the scriptures that we can repay good for evil, or we can bless for those who revile us. I want to give you three quick examples, uh, three quick ones, just kind of, because I think for me it's good to have a mental picture or a verse to say, okay, that's a way that he means pay back good for evil or not to revile. Uh, so Luke 6 records Jesus saying uh, that when they take your cloak, give them that their tunic also. So a way to love your enemy is to do something for their good. That's radical. That is, that's something that's called to the contrary. That's a hard thing that we don't want to do. So Jesus kind of says, if they do that, give them, give them more. Give them step further. Don't, of course, give more things to make fun of you about. But loving is giving something out of your cost for their good. That's, that's an act of love. I think also in Matthew 5 and Luke 6, that same chapter, uh, and on the cross, we see Jesus praying. So when someone reviles you or attacks you, you pray for their soul, uh, that God would save them from their sin, that God would change their heart, that God would be working in their lives, that you would pray that God would sustain their life even now that he'd be more patient and uphold them. And I think the third one is probably most, most difficult and I think it's important. Uh, in chapter 2 of Peter, verse 19, remember uh, that it's a gracious thing when we're mindful of God when we suffer by saying, God, this is your hand, this is your doing, I know you're in this somehow, you're purposing this, this isn't at random. Then also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, probably one of the hardest verses for me to read, uh, and to say that I love is this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So I think that even means in such a way when you're wrong, God, thank you for this trial. Thank you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm scared. But in a sense, giving thanks for God, that this is His plan, that God's doing this, is God's will, and helping, praying that God would help you to see and to trust that. And I think that's part of the Christian life. So that's how I think we can bless by tangibly doing something and by praying for their souls and praying that God would help you to understand what's going on to see his hand in it. So why is this such a hard calling? Like I, said, I, I think it's hard. This is, Peter, this is really hard. I don't like this. This is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's not common. Um, you, you should get back when someone wrongs you. You should, you should throw a punch back. You should say something back. Um, especially thinking of the context of those Christians in Egypt. This is a hard calling. This is, this is not easy. Um, why is that? And, and what's, what's the reasoning? Well, thankfully, in the Bible, um, God's been kind to use 
rewards and to, to give us things to look forward to and to think about things. If you look at the word that in verse 9, this is, this is the reasoning. So you bless, for to this you were called that. So because that, so that you will, that you may obtain a blessing. So God gives you hard commands. And as a good father, he says, I will be there for your good. I will give to you. I will bless you. So God's argument is of reward. If you endure, if you, if you do good to those who do evil to you, um, it says here that you may obtain a blessing. To this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So God is a good father who loves his children, and he rewards them for their obedience. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that God's appointed trials are not random, so these acts of people reviling you and doing evil to you, they're not out of the blue. God's not surprised. Uh, they are in some way God's hand of testing, some of his purposes of testing us, which means that God seeks our well-being. And that, that reward of blessing, that promise of blessing that the verse says, uh, can either be in this life or the next. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to put a command saying, oh, it's, it's always this one. God always rewards you with material things. I don't think the Bible says that here. I don't think it says that anywhere else necessarily. So I don't want to say that if you bless us, persecute, the God's going to give you a raise at work, or he'll give you a good day with your wife. I think those things are true and can happen, but that's not the rule we're thinking of here. That, that's not what the scripture says. I think it's going to happen, but again, that's not the rule. So does it mean that God can bless you materially? Sure, I think God could do that. Does it mean God could bless you more in eternity? Yes, I think he could do that. Which one is it? I really don't know. But we're, we're going to trust that God is faithful to his word and that he does bless those who seek him. He does bless those who are faithful. We can trust that he does those things. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus looked forward to the reward. He said, for the joy set before him, uh, he endured. So we endure pain, we endure persecution, we endure suffering. Uh, for the joy, for the joy of having more of Christ, for seeing more of his hand, for understanding more of who he is, whether in this life or the next. So that's our, that's our motivation that Jesus modeled well for us. Um, he reacted to evil by speaking good. He reacted to persecution by praying for those. And Jesus did so because of his obedience and the reward promised to him. So kind of a good little way to think about it. Uh, when reviled, remember the reward. That's kind of how I think of it. A lot of R's there, but it kind of helps me to think about it. When reviled, remember the reward. So all of us as Christians are called to act in a Christ-like way, act in this way. Uh, we love our enemies because God in Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And we entrust ourselves to God's purposes, knowing that he will reward us in this life or the next when we bless those who persecute us. And we trust ourselves to him. So from our thinking to our acting and now our acting, uh, we act to the contrary. When we're wrong, we don't retaliate. We actually bless instead. And now the reason why we think and act in such a way, I think it's because of the confidence or the hope, you can use that word too, uh, that we have in the person of God and the character of God. So verses 10 through 12 here is where Peter's going next, and he's going to quote uh, from Psalm 34. But I want to give you one more insight to the church in Egypt here. Uh, they're kind of my, uh, my guideline for the background today. It's very helpful. Uh, so another question he was asked, uh, how can we as Christians who aren't suffering, so Christians in America, Christians in China, Christians in not Egypt, whatever, how can we partner with you in suffering? How, what, what can we do? 
and he, and he, he does say, you know, it's not a money thing, but you know, we're not going to say no. But here's his main, here's his main ask. Uh, he says this, We need prayer so that the hearts of Christians in Egypt would not melt in fear, but remain courageous for the name of Jesus. Please pray for the church of Egypt as we take one attack after the other with deep pain. May the Lord have mercy on Egypt and may his light open the dark minds and hearts of those who attacked. So he asked for prayer that they would stay courageous, that they'd be strengthened by the Lord, that they would trust in the Lord and that God would, that God might have mercy and save and change and, and act. So their confidence is in the Lord. It's, it's in God's hand. It's in the power of God. It's in the hope of God. It's in the hope of Christ. Uh, that God would act and that who God is and that God would act according to his will that he would do what is good. So Peter goes to a psalm. Uh, he goes to scripture to provide scripture. So Peter's going to an Old Testament text to say, everything I just taught you and said is also in the Bible. So Peter's giving us a biblical background for what he's saying again. And in verses 10 and 11, we read this. For, so again, because whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So a lot of commands there, a lot of things he's telling you to do. Uh, but again, I think it's simple what he's trying to say. Do you, do you hope to enjoy life? Because he says, whoever desires to love life. Uh, life's not meant to be a drag. Um, yes, Christianity is about the life to come, but God has also put you here to enjoy life. Uh, you shouldn't walk around with your... I think people call it navel gazing. Look at your belly button all the time, all down, all bothered. You should be. I mean, you should enjoy the life God's given you. And so Peter's telling you how to do that. How, how do you desire to love life and see good days? Do you want to have not a horrible, crappy day all the time? Do you want to have a, a decent day at church? Do you want to enjoy the the wife of your youth? Do you want to enjoy your time on the planet? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So. Peter's saying to abstain from sin, as he said multiple times in, the, in 1 Peter, um, because the Lamb of God in chapter 1, verse 18, has ransomed us from our futile ways. So the ways of sin, the ways of speaking deceit and lying and, keep, and speaking of evil, those are futile. They're, they're childish, they're evil, they're wicked. You've been bought from them, so don't go back to them. So God has actually done that for your good on earth as well as in eternity. It shows that God does care about your life now. He's not just concerned about you. He cares about you now as well, as I'm trying to say. Uh, he does want your life to be one of glory and enjoyment of Christ. In verse 11, we see that he says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. So again, he's repeating what he just said in verse 8 and 9. So the Christian isn't just uh, stagnant. We don't just say, well, I won't do evil. I won't just not sin, which that's good. You shouldn't sin. But we're called to turn from evil, which is repentance, but to turn to Christ, to turn and do good. So don't just not do evil, but do good instead. So instead of repay for evil, we're supposed to bless. So don't just not do evil, but also do good. And again, that, that's a hard call for Christians, even for Christians who aren't suffering greatly. It's hard to turn from evil and do good. It's hard to want to bless instead of get them back, because they're, they're mean, they're stinkers. It's hard to want to do good and to pursue good. So bless those who persecute you, pray for them, give them your tunic also, that's how we do good. So from turning from sin to bless, we turn from evil, and on the contrary, we bless because that is our calling. And here's the reason, here's the confidence, here's the reasoning for all these things. This is, this is Peter's underlining theme, uh, and the Bible has been of Christ, has been of God. Uh, verse 12 says this, For... 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. I think that's, a, that's a, meant to be a comfort for us for when we're weak and when we're, God, this is a hard life. Christianity is hard. It is hard to bless my enemies. It is hard to want to give. It is hard to want to turn people. This is hard. Um, your father's watching. He's, he sees you. Um, and he doesn't, just, he doesn't just see in a general sense. Um, I think it's, I like to know that it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, so it doesn't just say God's watching because we know God sees everything. We understand that. But this is a, it's a particular kind of seeing. So God's eyes are on you. He's, he's watching you just like uh, my dad when I was a kid and I would play in a t-ball game or I would play basketball. My dad's watching the whole game, but he would always watch Kale. He'd watch Kale throw a guy out or watch Kale strike out or whatever the theme was. He, he would always watch me particularly. And I'd always think, my dad's watching me. He, he, he cares about my well-being. He wants me to do well. You know, Father's the same way. He sees you and loves you. Because of his son, he can delight in who you are. So this is for encouragement for you to abstain from evil and to do good. His eyes are on you. He takes notice of you, Christians particularly. Um, Isaiah 66 says this, God speaking, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So again, God specifically looks to you. Not only looks to you, but if you look at the second part of the verse, his ears are open to their prayer. So again, God hears and knows all things, but he specifically like bends down to hear your prayer. He listens to you distinctively. So again, I can hear the TV playing. I can hear my wife talking, but I intently listen to my wife. I'll tune that out to hear my wife. I hope so. I try to. Uh, she specifically listen. I want to listen to her and tune and actually hear what she's saying. Um, so is with God. He actually listens intently to our prayers. God, help me to bless those who harm me. He hears that. He, he understands it's frustrating. He saw Jesus can sympathize with us. He's been there. He gets the pain. He gets the, the temptation of it. Jesus understands temptation. Uh, Proverbs 15 says this, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So again, God hears you, Christian. He sees you and he hears you. It's meant to be an encouragement and, and, and a fear. Okay, God's watching. So I don't want to sin. It should be encouraging to not sin, but also to want to obey. So it's both and. And the end of verse 12 is also helpful as we close. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when someone sins against you and persecutes you or reviles you, um, God is not looking on it pleasantly. He doesn't smile at evil. He doesn't wink at it and I'll deal with it later. God, God hates it. He, he will take care of it. His face is against those who are doing evil. So we think of those in Egypt, those members who bombed. God is against them. He, he's opposed to them. He's not a, happy with what's going on. Um, so know that when you're wronged, when you are persecuted or attacked or God is not smiling on evil he hates it and he's opposed to it and he will do well because he delights in you and he delights in doing well so Christian know that your confidence is in the person of God who he is that he's watching over you while you do good he takes interest in your life on earth he sees and watches and hears you and we have confidence that God's not pleased with evil but he hates it and that he will deal with it so we, we have the confidence as a Christian in Egypt had and the Christians here, Peter addresses, have that the God will strengthen us in our, in our persecution. He will help us to endure, help us to trust, knowing that vengeance is mine, that Romans 12 says. The judge will do right. 
And as we close, just as Jesus in the garden prayed, not my will, but yours be done. So we need to pray, God, ultimately, I won't revile back. You will do what you need to be done. I trust you. Your will is good. Um, we need to pray that God helps us see that because we don't always understand. So confidence in the person of God to do what he will is good. Uh, that's the Christian attitude we're called to think, to act, and to have confidence as all Christians should. It's not just individuals. All Christians should have these same things. So may we think, act, and hope in such a way that God would be glorified in our acting, in our thinking, and in our hoping. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you so much. Um, God, we thank you for bringing us to your word, for allowing us to have your word in front of us. Uh, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Egypt who are suffering, um, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to endure, um, that you would help them to bless those who persecute them, um, as radical as that sounds, that you would help them to do good to their enemies, and that you would change the hearts of those who are attacking, and God, that they would ultimately, that your justice would be would flow, that we would see it, that you would, the judge of earth will do right. Help us to trust in that. Help us here as we uh, endure as well, you would allow us to be strengthened by the gospel, that we would think and act and hope in you in a way that's contrary uh, to the world that is according to your scriptures. I thank you for your son who has ransomed us from our futile ways by his blood. In his name we pray. Amen.